Greetings, residents of Derry, Castle Rock, and all world. You're listening to Constant Watchers, a podcast about the many TV and movie adaptations of the work of Stephen King. Never get out of bed again. The you're going to relate to and you're going to like the characters, because to me it's all about characters. <laughs> when I was growing up in Bakersfield, my favorite thing in all the world was to go to the movies on Saturday afternoons. I'm Robin. I'm Leonard. And I'm Jerry. And tonight we're going to be talking about the first movie in our long walk of Stephen King film and TV adaptations. The original 1976 version of Carrie. But first, some news. We have two directors that expressed some interest in directing a remake of Pet Cemetery. One is Andy Muschietti, who just directed part one of It. The other one, which interests me even more, is Guillermo del Toro who said he would kill to adapt that story. I don't know how I feel about that. It's up there with my favorite adaptations. Uh-huh. I think they did a really great job. Stephen King wrote the, the screenplay. I don't know how you could top it. Pick something else. Can I have a hug? Do, some, <laughs> do something. I mean, those guys, fine. They, he did a nice job with it, and Guillermo's is fine. Uh-huh. I, I don't see a reason to keep rehashing and remaking things that have been done. I say pick something that hasn't, or something that has and was really shitty. But hey, it pays the bills, you know what I'm saying? Well, we are going to be talking about a movie tonight that has been remade twice, and the first one is just fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. What do you think about that, Jerry? Yeah, I don't want to see that remade. I don't need to see it remade, so yeah, it should. There's so much other uh, material they could adapt, so... Maximum Overdrive! I was, that's what I was thinking, actually, for, I don't know, Guillermo. So the trailer for 1922 came out. Did you, either of you see it? I did. You yeah. did? Yeah. It, uh, Thomas Jane murders his wife and is haunted. Yeah, I'm really hoping this is more of a ghost story than a telltale heart situation. Yeah, so both 1922 and Gerald's Game are coming to Netflix this year. Gerald's Game is coming out September 29th, which is probably already long past by the time you hear this. And 1922 is coming out on October 20th. So the last news item is that it is now the highest grossing horror movie of all time. No kidding. Yep. It just beat The Exorcist. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) The Exorcist actually was up there. Like number three is Get Out. So (laughs) The Exorcist is only in the top spot because it got re-released twice. So, okay. But isn't it also the only horror movie that ever won any Academy Awards? I think it won two. Well, Carrie was nominated for two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, why don't we uh, get into some Carrie? It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there, even Carrie White, the girl no one likes. We're all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Help the silly woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. You don't have a date for the prom next Friday. Would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie... It will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. 
Carrie. A new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. All right, let me start with the plot description. Carrie White, a bullied teenage girl with a remarkably overbearing religious mother, develops telekinetic powers and, after being the victim of a particularly horrific prank, exacts revenge on everyone around her. Directed by Brian De Palma, Stephen King said he was happy with the choice of Brian De Palma as the director because he liked one of De Palma's previous films, Sisters. I've never seen that. Jerry, you've seen it? Yeah. Terrific. I just found a copy of it on VHS, too. For those listening who don't know what a VHS is, <laughs> ask your grandfather. <laughs> or Jerry. So I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. The screenplay was adapted by Lawrence D. Cohen, who also adapted Stephen King's It uh, for the miniseries. Oh. This uh, movie, of course, is based on the 1974 novel. And you guys know what the original full title of the novel is? Carrie, a novel of a girl with a frightening power. That was the full title of the novel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> Len, you wanted to tell us a little bit about how Carrie came about as a novel? Yeah. Uh, I think anybody who's a Stephen King fan probably knows this story, but it bears telling. There wouldn't be a Stephen King that we know today if it wasn't for his wife, Tabitha. He started working on Carrie as he was a school teacher, I believe, and decided to pitch it in the trash. He wasn't getting anywhere with it. Uh, Tabitha took it out of the garbage, made a few uh, suggestions, and mm-hmm. encouraged him to finish the book. There would be no Stephen King if it wasn't for Tabitha. Behind every great man is a better woman. Is that the saying? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't fair! Stephen King said that he sold the rights for $2,500. He said he has no regrets. He says, I was fortunate to have that happen in my first book. He was 26 years old. So, it stars uh, so many people. Uh, we had Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie playing Carrie and her mom, Margaret. Both got Oscar noms. Uh, one of the only uh, horror movies to get Oscar nominations. So, whatever we said about Exorcist earlier, um, I'm not sure if that's based on fact. Fact check! You know, you maybe you ought to write some books. That, of course, is the jingle for Jerry Calls Bullshit, a segment in which Jerry calls bullshit and Robin does the work. Cinematography, sound, or best picture. Those are the three I'm saying that it was nominated and won at least two of those. It won for sound. It also won for best writing, adapted screenplay. Just a bit outside. It was nominated for best picture, best actress, best actor, best supporting actress, best director, best cinematography. (laughs) It goes on down the line. But uh, yeah, it did win two Oscars. Snapping next for Carrie uh, it's got Amy Irving William Catt Betty Buckley Nancy Allen John Travolta BJ Souls uh, one of the guys from One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and that secretary from Ferris Bueller for Carrie Glenn Close auditioned for the role uh, Linda Blair speaking of Exorcist auditioned for it but turned it down fearing she was going to be typecast Farrah Fawcett <laughs> Farrah Fawcett is Carrie
Sheik's actually dropped out because of uh, Charlie's Angels. And Spacek uh, really wanted the role of Carrie. She put Vaseline in her hair. She had a dirty face. She wore a sailor dress she had from the seventh grade. So she auditioned and she got hired. And her husband actually got hired as art director. Piper Laurie. Um, she was starring with Paul Newman in The Hustler in 1961 and only got TV gigs after. She was like just about to quit acting, and this role turned her career around. According to Piper, she honestly thought her character was too over-the-top fanatical to be taken seriously. Uh, De Palma had to take her to the side and personally tell her it was a horror film, not a black comedy as she thought it was. Even so, she would constantly burst out into laughter between takes. Because uh, not only was her characterization and wardrobe laughable in her eyes, but the dialogue itself was humorous to her. Uh, to this day, she still refers to it as a black comedy. <laughs> she might be sick. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Amy Irving as Sue. Uh, her, this is her feature film debut. She really wanted to be Carrie. I found this awesome interview with PJ Souls, by the way, and she says um, she ended up with Steven Spielberg, who used to come to the set all the time because Brian said, there's a lot of cute girls down here. Come down to the set. And he'd hang out and he'd ask us all out. And none of us said yes, except for Amy. So she ended up marrying him. <laughs> they were married from 85 to 89. So uh, next up is Nancy Allen as Chris. She was having zero success in Hollywood after being in The Last Detail. Um, this is going to be also her last audition before quitting Hollywood. And PJ says Nancy Allen had her eyes set on Brian De Palma, who she eventually married. And of course, you know, she was in like three more of his movies after home movies that dressed to kill and blow out. Speaking of blowout, we had John Travolta as Billy. He was auditioning on a lunch break while filming Welcome Back, Cotter. William Cat is just a giant mop of hair in this movie. We know him later in uh, Greatest American Hero and the movie House. All of these actors were on their last, and actresses were yeah. on their last leg. They were going to quit, just like yeah. just like the novel. Uh -huh. Just like Stephen uh -huh. King was going to you know, throw it in the garbage uh -huh. and his wife saved it. You just blew my mind. Uh, we have uh, Betty Buckley as Miss Collins. I've got, like, some interesting shit to tell you about Betty Buckley. Okay, so Brandon Tartikoff, NBC's network chief, really liked how good she was in Carrie as the caring teacher. So she got the role of a caring teacher in the second season of Eight is Enough. There's a magic in the early morning. Who ends up dating and marrying Dick Van Patten's character and becoming a part of the regular cast. You guys ever watch Eight is Enough? No. Yeah. Not a long time, but yeah. There was actually a mom character in the first season and then she wasn't in the second season and betty buckley ended up basically playing the the but, new mom uh elizabeth highland played the original mom on eight is enough but was diagnosed with breast cancer and left the series after the first season in 1976 she elizabeth highland fell in love with john travolta who she met on the set of the boy in the plastic bubble he was 18 years younger than her in 1977 she died from cancer in travolta's arms wow yes yeah, so it's like roundabout way another eight is enough bit of trivia mark hamill played the oldest son in the pilot and when it was picked up he has to be let go because he had to star in some sort of weird space movie yeah, i've never heard of it <laughs> So, Betty Buckley, this is her very first film role. Uh, she was uh, in Frantic uh, as Harrison Ford's wife. We've seen her a couple times in the latest M. Night Shyamalan movies. Uh, uh, the Happening, she's like a crazy old lady in that. And, of course, in Split, she's the psychiatrist. Oh. So, after Carrie, she was on, you know, she did Eight is Enough. She was on Broadway a lot. Biggest role was in Cats. And she was also, uh, speaking of Broadway, she was in the Carrie musical. 
It's uh, known to be one of the most spectacular flops in Broadway history. Get off the stage! <laughs> so uh, she actually played Margaret. Another fun factoid about uh, Betty is in the movie, you remember the little boy that pedals his bike and yeah, he's like, creepy carry, yeah. creepy carry. And she knocks him off the bike. That's actually Betty Buckley's voice. Next cast member is PJ Soul. She played Norma. Uh, she was told by her agent to go to auditions being held by De Palma and George Lucas, who were both running auditions looking for teenagers. Legend said that the roles were almost reversed. SpaceX as Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher as Carrie White, but Fisher turned it down because of nudity. Carrie Fisher later said, not only do I love being nude, I would have been nude then. That's total bullshit. So <laughs> that's like one of those legends that's nonsense. Amy Irving, who played Sue Snell, originally read for the part of Princess Leia. William Catt, who played Tommy Ross, originally read for the part of Luke Skywalker. They were running Carrie auditions and Star Wars editions at the same time. It's just so cool, you know? I know. PJ said, George Lucas and Brian De Palma are sitting in two chairs behind one desk, and they both just looked me up and down and said, and Brian says, I'll put her on my list. And George just nodded. And then as I turned to go, he said, next audition, bring your hat. And I was wearing my red baseball hat, which was something I really loved and wore. Uh, it was me. And I also had a pair of overalls and a striped shirt, pretty much the outfit I wore and carry. So why don't we get into discussing the movie Carrie. Carrie, Carrie gets her period in the showers. And I, I, my first note as I was watching is like, I'd be screaming, help me too, if I had no idea. Like all of a sudden blood started running down my leg. <laughs> like what the heck's going on? What did you guys think of that scene? Would people really act like this? You know, would, would there be so many douchebags in the locker room? <laughs> I wrote down cackling idiots. <laughs> uh, you know, they're all screaming, plug it up, plug it up. And the coach grabs Amy Irving, uh, Sue Snell, and just starts shaking her. And she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, exactly. What the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. are you serious? I think just, you know, teenagers, you know, they can get easily pulled into that group mentality. Mob mentality. Mob mentality. That's what it is. Yeah. Sissy Spacek asked Brian De Palma how he wanted her to react when Carrie first realizes she's bleeding in the showers. De Palma said, it's like you've been hit by a truck. Uh, Spacek talked to her husband, uh, who as a child had been run over by a car when he was standing in the streets looking at Christmas lights. A neighbor put up and used his description as the basis of the scene. Okay, Black Bart, now you get... If you want to see a movie where the entire female cast is naked, like in the first scene, like just get it out of the way. <laughs> like I was so shocked, like, holy cow, like everybody's boobs and never reach. Yeah. Bush. Bush. <laughs> a lot of bush. Yeah. What were you thinking about that, Jerry? Yeah, I, I too was surprised that I didn't realize Sissy Spacek was naked. I've seen the movie yeah. before many times. Forgot it, I guess. Or maybe I saw it when it was on cable or something. I don't know. Uh, actually, the, if you did see it on cable, there are alternate cuts in the movie for the scene. Most of the girls are either in underwear or towels, or the nudity is just blurred out. Uh, most of the girls were kind of worried about appearing naked on screen, but De Palma actually showed them. He did shots of Spacek like cowering and naked in the shower. He's like, "This is how it's going to look. It's like terrifying. It's not going to be about the nudity, you know." And then they were like, "Okay, we'll do it." Uh, Carrie goes home and her mother tells her that it's a sin. Is is getting your period really a sin? Is this like a biblical thing? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> None of these Bible references are correct. I wrote down, this is either lazy writing or better yet, 
Margaret's just making up shit to fit the dementia that she has. I, I think it's uh, Munchausen, right? I think mom, yeah. yeah, she's just trying to keep Carrie sick and mm-hmm. meek and afraid. And she uses the mighty hand of God to do it. Mm-hmm. Like if you get a period, that doesn't mean that you're growing and you need to get out of the house and whatever. You're means, a woman now, right? It means sinning somehow, you know? Well, how did your parents react when you had your first period, Jerry? Jerry, you had an exclamation point, right? <laughs> uh, so when Sissy Spacek was preparing for her character, she isolated herself from the rest of the cast, decorated her dressing room with heavy religious iconography, uh, studied an illustrated Bible, studied the body language of people being stoned for their sins, and just kind of starting and ending in every scene in one of those positions. Wow. Yeah. I noted the glowy-eyed Jesus. That's actually not Jesus. It's a man on a cross. I assumed it was Jesus. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's St. Sebastian. Um, St. Sebastian got in trouble because he was secretly converting Romans to Christianity. So he got tied to a tree and shot full of arrows. Arrows! But the thing is, he didn't die. And, like, he was killed later, but they just kind of found him pinned to the tree, still like... Arrows! So, bullying sucks, right, guys? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do you guys think that the coach is really helping Carrie, or do you think that she's making it worse? Uh, I think her intentions are good. Yeah. Well, in the movie, uh, the coach intervenes and punishes the girls that were tormenting Carrie and threatens them with taking the prom away from them. Yeah. And that makes a couple of the girls and then everybody sort of retaliate. I I remember I was, you know, bullied a bit. And I'd always be like, please don't help. <laughs> right. You're making it worse. You're making it worse. Right. I'm just getting through it. And then. Uh. What about you, Jerry? You get bullied? No. I'm just really cool. Everyone loved me. Obviously. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah. No, I was bullied on occasion. But yeah, I don't think anybody was after me. Like, I had to avoid anybody. They're coming to get you, Barbara. So Brian De Palma wanted Betty Buckley to really slap Nancy Allen. Nancy wasn't giving the right reaction, and Buckley ended up like slapping her about 30 different times to get the right reaction. <laughs> he also, during the scene where the girls are being chewed out, De Palma was standing off camera behind Amy Irving, just off screen, whispering cruel and hurtful things in her ears in order to make her look of misery and guilt on camera to seem genuine. Nancy Allen, I, I, I was uh, kind of surprised to see her in this role. I'm used to seeing her. I don't know. I guess I'm used to her in Robocop. You have 20 seconds to comply. I especially love the scene where uh, she's giving Travolta some oral sex and she's talking and saying, Billy, 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 during that. Just very, very talented. Fact check! <laughs> <laughs> She said that she never realized her character was going to be so evil until she saw the finished film. She thought she and Travolta were playing such self-centered bickering morons that they were just there for comic relief. They obviously hadn't read the book. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So in the 1970s, I guess you weren't allowed to go to the prom without a date? (laughs) What happened there? I I don't know. uh, That sounds like a plot device. Uh, Also, we learned that Travolta created the term get her done um, in this movie. (laughs) So thank you for that, John. Uh, who did it better? Get her done! Get her done! You can't do it from standing out here. Get her done, man. Get her done. You know, De Palma is always known as being a Hitchcock fan. We noted uh, that the reek, reek, reek noise from the score it sounds like the psycho thing. You may recognize this. Bernard Herman was actually slated to score Carrie before he passed away. The school is Bates High. Hitchcock. A lot of nods to Hitchcock. Yeah. 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 You just blew my mind. And then bo- in the book, it t- takes place in a town called Chamberlain. That's where um, 
I think the boys in The Body or Stand By Me are headed to or maybe some of Ace Merrill's gang are from Chamberlain. Fact check! You know, you maybe you ought to write some books. Actually, you're probably thinking of River Phoenix's character, Chris Chambers. They weren't going to Chamberlain. Yeah, you're probably right. I hate you. Uh, they mentioned, the, uh, like I think it was like a janitor or somebody named Teddy Champ. I love how this movie like sets up the dread as you're headed towards prom night, seeing how happy Carrie is, seeing her take a stand against Margaret finally, just seeing everybody getting ready. In the meanwhile, you see Travolta and Nancy Allen killing pigs and plotting. And I I think De Palma did a great job of uh, setting up the dread. We first hear about the dirty pillows when Carrie's all dressed up and the lion. They're all going to laugh at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both iconic phrases from this movie. Oh, uh, so we go to the dance, the enchantment of the sea dance. Earth angel, earth angel. We were getting kind of nauseated by watching uh, Tommy and Carrie spinning around and around and around. Oh, that was the worst. Carrie and Tommy are actually placed on a, uh, for the scene, uh, they're placed on a spinning platform. A lazy Susan, essentially. So it's spinning them. <laughs> and then they have a dolly rig going around in, them in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's it's kind of like double spin. <laughs> I like that PJ Stoll's uh, Norma ends up with another character in a red hat. It's like they're both like making America great again together. But there's no better word than stupid. <laughs> You see her getting ready for the prom and the hat's on top of the hairdryer. Right. So, you know, it's just it, the dread and the tragedy as Carrie coming out of her shell to Tommy. This whole like sweet moment where she's actually just having a conversation like she's speaking. And then there's the whole thing where like, should we vote for ourselves? And she's like, no, that would be that would be wrong, you know. And you know what's coming. And it's it so can't kind. be stopped. And I'm, I, I literally wrote in my notes, like, fuck these guys. I, like, hate yeah. these guys so much, you know? Yeah. Sissy Spacek was actually homecoming queen in real life. She looks so homely, frizzy red hair, kind of dingy. And then when she finally gets to the dance, you kind of fall in love with her for a minute. You sort of, uh... Yeah. And then the blood falls. And all you just hear is just the swinging of the bucket. Yeah, and that was my favorite part of this movie. It's really, really important. It seems like horror movies nowadays are, the scares are always designed to make you jump and they're always accompanied with a sound stab of some kind. But less is more. Less is way creepier, way eerier. That that was perfect. That was really, really scary. Really good. Yeah. yeah. And then it just all breaks with freaking PJ Souls laughing. And then we go to that classic Brian De Palma split screen. I remember as a kid, like never seeing, I never, I don't think I saw Carrie until I was like a young adult or maybe even an adult, but I remember always seeing the image of like blood soaked Carrie and how scary it was to see this girl like covered in blood. And she's so thin and bony. It almost looks like she's like this skinned body just standing there, like this, the horror of it, you know? I know. Then her mind just completely breaks and it pinwheels. And then we see like everybody's laughing and we even see Miss Collins laughing. Did you guys take it as like Miss Collins was actually laughing at her? I think that was a break. I think that was a psychotic break. And her mother had been warning her uh, that they were all going to laugh at her. De Palma actually talked about it a bit. He said, one of the questions that's come over the years is, was Miss Collins laughing? The answer is no, not at all. A good deal of that sequence is really in Carrie's mind which tips over at the point of the blood. What is occurring is a mixture of what her mother threatened and promised will indeed happen. Her worst fears, her imagination, her paranoia, and everything else. The actual reactions of most of the people at the prom are mostly 
looks of shock and dismay that they express immediately after the blood has been spilled while the sequence is still in slow motion. That's when we start seeing her glancing around and the doors start shutting and the panic just starts like people are getting closed in. The coach gets crushed. Betty Buckley had no idea that her character would be killed until the day of filming. Her terrified look is real because since they hadn't been able to test the falling backboard to make sure it would stop before it was going to hit her. So no one she actually, had no idea. Had no idea if it's actually going to work. Or killer. Yeah. <laughs> One thing we all really wanted, at least for me, I don't know about you guys, but I really wanted to see PJ Souls' character, Norma, like get fucking like blood-soaked, murdered, just destroyed. Yeah. I sensed a little bit of discontent from the room as we were watching, like, oh, she just gets knocked over? Like, is she dead? Like, can we at least know she's dead? Yeah. That was a letdown. Actually, PJ says, I wasn't really knocked unconscious, but the fire hose they wanted to use to bat my head around, the fire chief said he wasn't going to do it that it was too dangerous because the force of the water would be too strong. The stunt coordinator said, well, I'll just man the hose. It's okay. We'll just put less water pressure on. But I guess he lost control of it. It just burst out and flipped my head to the side, and the full force of the fire hose went into my ear and broke my eardrum. Holy shit! And you, when you break your eardrum, you lose your sense of equilibrium, so I kind of slid down to the floor. I wasn't knocked out, but I did have a ruptured eardrum, and for six months I had a loss of hearing. The pain was unbelievable, and you can see it on my face. They kept that in. When I have that one grimace and then supposedly die, that's me just kind of going, holy shit. Then my head goes back, and I start to slide out of frame. They cut. I don't know. Walk it off and reshoot. <laughs> I love the imagery of the fire. I love this meek, bloody little Carrie walking out of that gymnasium. During the whole sequence, uh, Sissy SpaceX trailer was parked behind the set. And after being covered in fake blood for continuity purposes, she refused to wash it off. She elected instead to sleep in her bloody clothes for three days of filming. I thought the final act was a little slow because they have the whole bath scene. And I just felt like it wasn't needed because she walks in and you see Margaret sitting behind the door and you're like, okay, so she's standing there. And then you see Harry take a long bath, washing the blood off, you know, but you know that Margaret's standing there the entire time just waiting and she just never comes in. And when Carrie leaves for the prom, she uses her force powers to uh, knock <laughs> mom on the bed. And yeah. as she leaves, mom gets up and says... You know, it's a quote from the Bible, never suffer a witch to live or something. Yeah. So we know that they're going to have a confrontation. At that point, all the buildup to the, the blood being spilled at the prom and then the mayhem, it, it, it's deflated already. It, and to build it up again, ugh. Yeah. It's, again, we just, we know the mother's standing there. And I thought, imagine if they went for one more hitch homage where she's in the shower and right. the mother coming yeah. at her with yeah. the knife. <laughs> Carrie does the whole knives into the mama like St. Sebastian. Arrow! And I just want to, if Jesse's listening, the shout out for him picking that up. And then you said earlier off tape that um, that scene was done in reverse. The knives were in her. They pulled them out with string and then played it backwards. And of course, uh, Carrie embraces her mother. Ugh. Right. And then she puts her in the timeout closet and then causes the house to collapse. Do you guys think that Carrie committed suicide or... Did the power, like, take her over, or was it God punishing this family? It could what, be, what did you think? It could be all of those things, but I, I kind of thought it was um, she realized she'd killed her mother, and she had another break, just like in the gymnasium, and had no control. So we get this dream, the giant cross, the for sale. Carrie White burns in hell. A hand grabs Irving. She wakes up screaming. The old jump scare. Wasn't that old at the time, but now... Uh... 
what's interesting is that Amy Irving's outburst, that that's actually her mother playing her mother. <laughs> it terrified her mother so much that the sound goes over it, but she actually yells like, Amy, Amy, you know, instead of <laughs> Sue. <laughs> that whole dream sequence was also filmed backwards to give it an eerie effect. And if you look closely in the way far background, you see an automobile driving backwards. <laughs> <laughs> 2010, Stephen King said that while the film is dated, it's good. It's much better than the book. In fact, uh, Stephen King liked the ending of the movie better than the ending of his own book. What? So before we get into the book report and hear about the differences between the novel and the movie, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Are you an up-and-coming comedian? So I was thinking that Florida is a nice state, but like, uh, what city has got to have the best clothes, am I right? And you're not getting the reaction you think you deserve. Because they gotta have the cleanest clothes in Fort Lauderdale, right? Lauderdale? Wait, was it Laundrydale? Boo. Or maybe you're just a dad. Hey kid, get over here. Give my finger a pull. Dad! And you get no respect? Give it a pull already. Fine! But you were born to entertain. Hold up, I had one growing appreciates your great sense of humor. Yeah, uh, Let's go. Just wait. But now... They're all gonna love There's a comedy club. They're all gonna love Where you're gonna... They're all gonna love Kill. They're all gonna laugh at you comedy club. They're all gonna love No matter how bad the joke... They're all gonna love They're all gonna laugh at you. Bad jokes. Sandwich. Puns! I went to this Italian restaurant that sold fake spaghetti. I was like, hey, it's an impasta! Right? Impasta? Even jokes that are past their prime. That's what she said! What's up? Your mama is so fat. What's the deal with Walkmans? If you get a bunch of them together, are they Walkmen? They're all gonna laugh at you. We're all gonna laugh at you, Comedy Club. Right off Highway 69. 69, right? Nice. They're all gonna laugh at you. Can you imagine what it would be like if we didn't have paper? I was fortunate enough to get a audiobook of Carrie read by the star of Carrie, Sissy Spacek. I listened to it over the weekend. Oh, good for you. And how was it? Stephen King based Margaret on a woman he used to work with in an uh, industrial laundromat. She was a deeply religious woman. She talked to herself a lot. Carrie is based on a composite of two girls Stephen King observed while attending grade school and high school. Do you guys do you know about this? No. Okay. One of them, he remembered going over to their house, her house, and just noticed like lots of religious stuff everywhere, including a giant crucifix that hung over their couch. And as for the other girl, I have his quote here. She was a very peculiar girl who came from a very peculiar family. Her mother wasn't a religious nut. She was a game nut, a sweepstakes nut who subscribed to magazines for people who entered contests. The girl had one change of clothes for the entire school year, and all the kids made fun of her. Eventually, she hung herself. Wow. As for the book, yeah. like it's good. It's interesting because it kind of goes back and forth between news reports, interviews, testimony about what happened on prom night, and an actual story that goes through the book. You ever read it? 
Jake? No, I picked it up and looked through it a little bit. I feel like a lot of the suspense is gone in the story because we know something terrible is going to happen and we, we hear about it very early on. Like we hear something terrible happens at the prom and we hear this person died or this person died and you're just kind of going, how? But you already know it's going to happen. So right. there's no shock. Like I guess it's shocking what happens, but... You know that something's going to happen. It's not like much of a surprise. Right. I don't know. So there's a deleted sequence from the movie. They tried filming this. This is in the book. In the beginning of the book, Carrie is a, a little girl and she's caught talking to a woman who's sunbathing and just kind of observing her dirty pillows. Sure. <laughs> and Margaret comes out of the house and drags her back in. And then suddenly Carrie makes stones like rain on the house. And the end of the movie, they were going to... Like it was going to be like a beginning and a closing of the movie. They were going to open it with that flashback. And then when Carrie takes the house down with her mother, it was going to be a rain, rain of stones. stones. And that's why, like, in the dream... There's a pile of stones. A pile of stones over that. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, the stones didn't have the right effect. They actually look like raindrops on the camera. Okay. So they just nixed that. If you watch closely in the scenes, as the house is collapsing and they show the inside of the house, there are, like, rocks coming through. Huh. Throughout the book, Carrie's, like flexing her telekinetic powers like she says flex flex so it's, it's unlike the movie because in the movie it seems like oh it kind of surprises her sure she's... and then finally on problem night she's broken and then right really uses it in the book she's like lifting things up and then letting them drop while mom is not looking as we get closer to prom night like there's one scene where she just kind of like flips a parked car and kind of is like oops you know yeah. walks away nobody sees what happened you know so the end of the book is very different not very different but pretty different sue's not at the prom chris drops the blood on carrie the bucket hits tommy and kills him oh. <laughs> i kind of wonder if he was killed in the movie i mean yeah you could have i guess assume that they they did the same thing but i thought he was just knocked unconscious yeah. and dies in the fire unlike the movie which people are shocked but she's seeing everybody laughing like everybody's actually laughing in the book after the blood falls on her she runs from the stage the first person that comes out is miss disjardin who is miss collins in the movie sure she comes out to be like, Carrie, you know, and Carrie just takes her and throws her into a wall. And then to add even more humiliation, somebody like trips Carrie. She's just trying to run out of there. Man. She just falls and everybody's around her and laughing at her. So she gets up and leaves and she shuts the doors and turns the sprinklers on. And that starts the electrocution. That starts the fires. Miss Count or Miss Destrada actually escapes. And Chris and Billy also escape through like a back door that everybody's so panicked they don't realize. And Carrie does like some sadistic things like she's outside and watching the place burn. And she uses her TK abilities to uncork all the, the fire hydrants all around. So when the fire department shows up, they're like, we can't plug their hoses in anything. She just like rampages through town, ripping down power lines. I think there was some of this in the latest remake. She just like sets most of the town on fire, blows up some gas stations, blows up a gas main. And also, you always wonder about, like, psychic abilities and telekinetic abilities in Stephen King, how it relates to The Shining. Sure. So, in the book, Carrie's on the prom night, like, she starts to get, like, psychic abilities. And, like, everybody in the town hears her thoughts and hears how much she hates people and, oh, and she's hears an how scared like, she's... It's like an amplifier of yeah. hate. Yeah. And so, like, that. so, like, everybody is, like, in their testimony are like, I just knew it was Carrie that did it. And so she goes home and Margaret tells her that she was raped. That's how Carrie was born, like raped by her husband. Or she and her husband are like super religious and would not have sex with each other. Right. But he got drunk and like raped her at like some sort of roadhouse. So she kills her mother by using her telekinesis to squeeze her heart. Then Carrie goes to this roadhouse where her mother was raped. 
to take down the roadhouse. And that's where she sees Billy and Chris come out and then kills them there. So she's been stabbed by her mother and she's like, she's about to, she's like falling over and Sue actually follows her psychic thoughts to her body laying there in the road. And Carrie almost kills Sue with her, but then reaches in her mind and realizes that Sue wasn't a part of the prank. That whole graveside dream in the movie is probably a way to get one more moment to wrap up Sue's storyline without doing that whole thing. And there's a pretty cool epilogue too. We find out like, 440 people die in the town. <laughs> like, it's not just the kids in the prom no. or whatever. Uh, and this event is like this huge moment in American history. Like imagine like if this, something like this happened, it would be like sure. a fucking like terrorist attack, you know? Yeah. And the town becomes like this tourist attraction. Carrie becomes like a known as not only like a, a monster, but like a folk hero as well. Sure. You know? And then like, there's this final document, like the Congress like rules, like, well, there's nobody else like Carrie out there. Like this was just a fluke. And then there's this final document. It's a letter from a woman to her sister talking about how her baby is like moving things with her mind (laughs) and how cute it is. (laughs) Overall, how many bloody tampons? One out of ten would you give Carrie? Uh, I give it at least seven. Seven, okay. Wow, you liked it a lot, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I I think this is one of the best Stephen King adaptations. The movies might be even better than the book, and I really enjoyed the book, and I really enjoyed the movie. I would hate to give it a perfect 10, because that would be kind of a lot to live up to, so I'll just give it a 9.5. Wow. Out of 10, dirty pillows. Or bloody tampons. Sorry. Whatever you want. I'll give it a a six and a half. They're all going to laugh at you. Wow. Yeah, for me, it's not one of my favorite stories, I guess. And all the kids cheered, but I didn't cheer. I think because the movie's in the 70s, some of these things, like a girl getting her period for the first time and having telekinetic powers and an overly, you know, an overbearing mother and cruel teenagers... I've seen it so many fucking times yeah. since yeah. that it felt boring. Uh, it was okay. It's not one of my favorites. Okay. That's all. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at El Robinero. Check out my other podcast, Size Zombie Podcast, We Don't Want to Wait, and Redemption Cast. How about you guys? You can find me on LeonardKenyon.com. You can find me in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next time on Constant Watchers, we're going to be watching Salem's Lot. So... Thanks for listening. (laughs) Long days and pleasant nights. Yeah. See you in your dreams. Oh, come back anytime. Bring your friends.